Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. The man accused of brutally killing a woman in a New York City hotel room has been arrested but out in Arizona. And as a public fight ensues between DAs over extradition, we speak with one of the alleged victims of this suspect. She claims he assaulted her, but how is it he was free to then go on a violent crime spree? Welcome to Sidebar, presented by Law and Crime. Jesse Weber. Okay, we have an update for you on a story we covered a few days ago. We talked to you about how 38-year-old Denise Olias Arancibia was found dead in a New York City hotel room, believed to have been beaten with an iron found in the room, and also she was strangled. And we mentioned how there was this surveillance footage that captured the suspect, allegedly wearing Denise's leggings after bloody pants were found in the hotel room. Well, the suspect has been identified as 26-year-old Raid Almansori, currently in Arizona custody for what he allegedly did after this New York City attack. You see, he has been arrested for carjacking and attempted stabbing of a woman in Phoenix and then pointed a gun at, pepper sprayed, and stabbed a McDonald's employee in Surprise, Arizona. And what does Almansori do when he's caught? He allegedly confessed. He allegedly admitted to the McDonald's attack even conceding that he wanted to rape the woman in that incident, and he allegedly admitted to the Phoenix attack, and he allegedly told police to, quote, Google the Soho 54 Hotel, a reference to the killing of Denise. He is facing attempted murder, aggravated assault, theft charges in Arizona. Now, this has actually resulted in a legal political quagmire, an issue. You see, the Maricopa County attorney, Rachel Mitchell, has refused to extradite Almansuri to New York, citing her criticism of Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. I know there's been discussion about New York wanting to extradite this individual, and I'm sure this is not aimed at the New York Police Department at all. I know they did a hard job and they did a good job, but we will not be agreeing to extradition. I've instructed my extradition attorneys not to agree to that. We're going to keep him here. These are mandatory prison sentences. And having observed uh, the treatment of violent criminals in the New York area by the Manhattan DA there, Alvin Bragg, I think it's safer to keep him here and keep him in custody so that he cannot be out doing this to individuals either in our state or county or anywhere in the United States. So in other words, she's worried that he may get released, seemingly referring to Alvin Bragg's controversial bail reform and criminal justice policies. But here was Alvin Bragg's response. County D.A. Mitchell has, I don't know how else to say it, just got it wrong at every single term. She professes concern that a murder suspect uh, in Manhattan uh, would be released. I do not know what they do in Arizona. But I know that here in this county, New York County, we routinely seek and get remands, which means the person's in custody in our murder cases. Those are the facts. 
I've heard she also was on Fox and Friends this morning saying that four Manhattan suspects were picked up by ICE in her county. This has demonstrably been proven to be false now for weeks. So to repeat a baseless falsehood on national TV is beyond the pale. And he also cited some crime statistics in New York to disprove what Mitchell had been suggesting. And Mitchell went on Dan Abrams Live on News Nation and further explained that Arizona, by law, gets priority, that they get to go first as the suspect is facing serious charges there, mandatory prison terms. She is insured he will not be granted bond. Now, I did a little bit of research into this on this issue of extradition, and I do wonder if it's really up to the Arizona governor to decide this, not necessarily the Maricopa County DA, but we'll wait and talk about that hopefully at another time. But putting all that to the side, Al-Mansouri appears to be a career criminal across the country. He has previous arrests for kidnapping and sexual assault in Texas and in Florida. And that brings me right now to our guest, Leah Palian, who says that she was assaulted in Florida by Al-Mansouri just a year ago. Leah, thanks so much for coming here on Sidebar. I know this must be incredibly difficult to talk about and also must be difficult for you in light of what has been going on. Um, so first of all, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you for hearing my story. Yeah, and I want to be very clear. I I'm not going to get into the details of what happened specifically. Um, I don't want you to have to relive that in any way, but I do want to talk about the circumstances leading up and what happened. So if you can explain to all of us who might not know how did you first meet him? My understanding is you met him at a restaurant. You guys worked together? Yes, we worked together at the same restaurant in Orlando. He actually introduced himself to me as Noah. So I know him as Noah. It turns out that's his middle name. And we were working the same position. He was actually the one to train me. And I read that you thought he was odd. Like, What did you mean by that? Um, He was just very socially reserved, um, very quiet, a little quirky. He, he just didn't know how to interact with people very well do you know like his background like where he was from his family anything like that yeah so slowly like as we started working together these long shifts he would open up to me about you know his background and his past he told me he was from phoenix arizona he had a horrible relationship with his family that's what made him leave um that his family was super abusive his mom would beat him um and tell him like awful things like she wished she would have had an abortion things like that just really traumatizing stuff and then that is how he ended up in florida he was kind of like fleeing them what was your impression of him when he was saying this what did you think of him i i was like appalled honestly i felt so bad for him um i kind of contributed his weird behavior or like socially reserved behavior to all of this trauma he went through and then his like hardships he was currently going through like the fact that he didn't have a car and was biking to work and that leads me into the night of what happened right so my understanding is um he was he was traveling commuting to work on this bike it was a very long distance and at one point um was it either he or he suggested or you suggested uh you know, I could give you a ride. And then how did he end up staying at your place that night? Because he did stay. And I think it had to do with the fact that he had to, you felt bad for him, right? Yeah. So I actually offered to give him a ride home the one night that we were closing together. It was super late. It was like 2 a.m. And biking to where he lived would have been like a two hour plus bike ride. And then I'm pretty sure he had to open again the next morning. So I just felt like really, really bad for him. And I was like, hey, we're closing the same shift. I'll just give you a ride. It's fine. 
Um, so that turned into like a, a thing that happened a few times whenever we would close together. And on the night of the attack, he had asked me, we were closing together and he said, hey, I need a ride home. Is that okay? And then also my car is done in the shop. Would you be able to take me the next morning? And so I said to him, yeah, that's fine. You know, I thought this would be the end of me having to give him rides. And uh, whenever he asked that, I said to him, I was like, hey, I'll let you um, have a ride, but how about you spend the night on my couch? Because it's a lot of driving back and forth late at night and then a lot of driving back and forth early in the morning. And so that's how he ended up being in my apartment. Were you concerned? I mean, he wasn't necessarily a stranger. I mean, you knew him, you worked with him, but were you ever concerned a little? Was your, you say, hmm, maybe is this a good idea, him staying there? Or did you have no, no red flags whatsoever that this might be a, an issue? In retrospect, there were probably red flags, but me being like super tired working the shift um, and just like wanting to avoid like a hardship the next day, I was like, oh, this is the easiest option. You know, I didn't ever have like a, a feeling that my life was going to be in danger that night. I was like, oh, this is just a minor inconvenience for me. And when you went back to your place, my understanding is he had he kind of did a 180 when he started drinking. Yeah, so that night, um, it was a long shift. I was super tired. Um, I kind of wanted to unwind, had a glass of wine. He also had half a glass of wine, and he just became belligerent. It was like he was blackout drunk. He started berating me. He was telling me how I'm a whore and how my father doesn't love me. It was just like a lot of stuff that I felt like was him projecting. So anyways, um, he was too incoherent to really kick out that night, and... Uh, I said, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go to bed. He's going to be on the couch. The next morning when he sobers up and can understand what I'm saying, I'm going to tell him that, you know, I'm not taking you to get your car. Friends don't treat friends that way. Like, your behavior was horrendous. And so um, that is basically what happened. And whenever I began telling him that the next morning, he started to get, like, really frantic and worked up. And, and obviously, you know, Again, I don't want to go into the details of the attack with you, but my understanding is you had sent a text message to a friend and that kind of set him off, right? Yeah, so he, the next morning, he used my face to unlock my phone and started going through my messages. And the night before, I was talking with my friend and we were kind of like making fun of his behavior. We were like, this is so weird. This is horrendous behavior. And he saw that. He also saw like messages with other men and he blocked them. And all of these things combined like really started to trigger him. And and it was like a 180 and he was acting different. I mean, did you did it seem to you that he had this these feelings towards you? I mean, did you ever suspect that before why he was acting this way? I mean, I don't know. I felt like he could have had them because he would go out of his way for me at work. He would be like helping me with the heavy lifting. And so I was just like, oh, he's a nice coworker. But in retrospect, looking back, yeah, that probably is what that was. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And, and you mentioned, uh, you've said it in print interviews before about what he did. 
and what happened between the two of you and how you were assaulted by him. You felt like you were going to die that night? Absolutely. Well, it was actually the next morning, but yeah. I'm absolutely. sorry, the next morning, yeah. And and and, yes. and and what was the look in his eye? Like, if you can explain what that was like, like, what was he saying or doing that you thought, this is, this is really, uh, I'm in danger? Yeah, so as he was coming over, he said, scream and I'll kill you. He has just, like, black eyes. Like, it was just, like, a blank look. There was no, like, the best way I can describe it is there was no consciousness, like, no soul behind those eyes. And he says, I hate that I have to do this. I hate that I have to kill you. And then whenever he let up, I said, Noah, what the f*** was that? And he goes, you made the devil come out of my body. Wow. Wow. What'd you say to that? Or were you just in shock? I was sitting there. Yeah, I was in shock. I was like shaking. I was trying to like, I was playing through every option basically of how to like get out of the apartment and not die in my apartment. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was traumatizing for sure. You were able to get him out of the apartment, right? You were able to convince him uh, to, to, to ride together to pick up his car, which was at the mechanic. How did that walk us through that ride and what that was like? Yeah. So, um, he refused to let me drive my own car. He grabbed my keys and he was like, I'll drive. He was watching me like a hawk the whole way. I was able to get my phone back and turn it on as we were leaving the apartment. And once he saw I had my phone turned on, he was just like watching me so intensely. Like I couldn't even call 911. Um, we get in the car. He puts on a song on like the stereo and it's this song. I forget what it is, but it was like a song hyper fixating on getting away with murder and he was like really focused on that i kept trying to change the conversation and be like like just lighten it whatsoever and be like oh is this the way you bike to work you know whenever you bike like and he would bring that song back into the conversation he'd be like no i don't listen to this song whenever i bike to work this is just a song i put on specially for today and uh, so it was like really um a stressful car ride it was like contemplating like you know jumping out but he was just like watching me so intensely like there was really nothing i could do besides like beg for him to let me use the restroom and eventually he did for whatever reason and you go to this it was like a gas station to go to the restroom there mm -hmm. and what happened when you did that so I run inside. Thank God it was like a one person bathroom. I close the door, lock the door, and I try to call 911. I can't get a signal to call, but I can get a signal to text. So I'm texting all my friends. I'm dropping my location. I'm like, hey, can you guys like please call 911? My coworker just tried to murder me. And so 911 is able to call me and get a hold of me. While I'm on the phone with 911, he comes up to the door and is banging on the bathroom door. Like, I guess when he realized I was taking too long, um, the operator actually heard it and on the phone she's like is that the man and i'm like yes like please hurry i'm so scared like he's gonna kill me in here um so then a couple minutes go by like the banging had stopped and he, then i hear keys jingling and apparently he had gone and gotten the manager of the 7-eleven told them that his friend was in there and not responsive and they unlocked the door and i'm screaming at them i'm like no like don't unlock this door he just tried to murder me um i'm on the phone with 911 so whenever he heard I was on the phone with 911, that's whenever he took off in my car. Oh my gosh. That is, that is such a crazy story. And then he's eventually caught. And this is the part that I want to talk to you about. So he's caught. They charge him with sexual battery, aggravated assault, and grand theft auto. Mm -hmm. And all the charges are dropped except the grand theft auto charge. And there's this statement that the, and I'm curious what you think about this, um, because there was a statement from the, the office. Um, prosecutor's office handling the case they told the daily news there was insufficient evidence to prove the sexual battery and aggravated assault charges beyond a reasonable doubt what do you make of that 
It actually makes my blood boil a little bit because not only did they let this happen, but then for them to double down and instead of take responsibility for what happened to put out this blanket statement, I can actually say that for example, the stolen bike charge, yeah, I had my bike in my car and whenever I got my car back, he had pawned the bike. Um, that was another charge that they had added on and they dropped that one as well, despite there being ample evidence. Um, he had provided an ID at the pawn shop. The detective actually went with me to retrieve the bike. There was so much paperwork, like there was so much evidence to move forward with this charge and they dropped that as well. So in my opinion, this isn't a case of evidence or lack thereof. It's a case of negligence. And I am so disappointed in the state for not only allowing this to happen, but then doubling down on their stance. What explanation did they ever give you about why they weren't pursuing the charges? Basically the same thing, that it was a lack of evidence. They told me um, in the interview with the state attorney's office, they were like, this could be like a he said, she said situation. However, when they conducted the original investigation, I had asked the police officers about that. I said, hey, you know, this happened in my apartment. Like, I want to make sure that this man is off the streets. Like, is this going to, you know, become a case? And they told me, they said, yes, there is enough evidence to move forward. We can use the 911 call. We can use the gas station surveillance video. Obviously, he stole your car. You know, that contributes to the story. You have the text to your friends saying, hey, call 911. Like, there was a lot of things that they could have pieced together. And that's what both the, officer, the officers reassured me of. So it was, like, so heartbreaking whenever I got to the state attorney's office and they basically told me, like, we don't, we're not going to try enough to pursue this case. Did you have markings on you, bruises? Unfortunately, like there was no markings on my body, but they also told me because I asked them about that too. And they told me that that can be common with like the way that he strangled me, that it wouldn't bruise outright. So I'm going to read you something. Uh, this is from Jason Gunn, a spokesman for the office of the state attorney in Central Florida. It says, in this case, we thoroughly vetted the investigation, conducted an extensive interview with the victim in person, and combed through all available evidence. Um, I want to ask you about that interview that you had with authorities. When they were interviewing you, did you get the sense that they weren't believing your story or anything like that? Absolutely. The second I got in the state attorney's office, I could tell that they weren't taking me seriously. Um, they were pretty much disregarding all of my concerns. And whenever I felt that energy, I actually said to them verbatim in the interview, I said, if you let this man walk with a slap on the wrist, he will become the next Ted Bundy. He got such a rush from the things that he was doing. I guarantee you he's going to want to keep going and you giving him a slap on the wrist is just going to enable him to do that. And even with me saying that and everything else that was there, they still dropped all the charges, even the pond bike charge with ample evidence. Tough case. Tough case. I think it's pretty clear from watching Sidebar and hearing about all the stories we talk about that the world can be pretty scary, pretty unpredictable. And that is especially true if you get injured, if you get seriously hurt. At those times, you need to know how to protect your rights and whether you should be compensated. That's why I want to talk about Morgan & Morgan, our great sponsor here on Sidebar, the largest personal injury law firm in the country. Not all law firms are created equal. And if you're going to take on big insurance companies that sometimes lowball offers, you're going to need a big firm. Morgan & Morgan, they don't settle for those lowball offers either. No, they fight for the money you deserve. Now, if you don't believe me, well, get this. In the past couple of months, Morgan & Morgan saw verdicts of $12 million in Florida, $6.8 million in New York, and $26 million in Philadelphia. Now, mind you, these are all considerably higher than the highest insurance offers for these accidents. And get this, the fee 
absolutely free unless you win. Now, what I always am excited to talk about with Morgan & Morgan is how easy they make it for their clients. They have completely modernized the whole process because from submitting your claim to uploading documents to talking with your whole legal team, it can all be done on your smartphone. How easy is that? You can see if you have a case in just minutes. So to start your claim now with Morgan & Morgan, go to forthepeople.com slash LC sidebar or click the link in the description and pinned in the comments. And since everything with Alman Surrey has come out now, you haven't heard from the state attorney's office or law enforcement about this? Not at all. And it is wild to me because the way I originally heard about this, the, the new um, attacks, right. is that the original detective, the one that was very helpful in conducting the investigation, who went to the pawn shop with me, she called me and she said, hey, before any of the media gets a hold of you, I want you to hear this from me. And But the state attorney who I'm currently working with, um, their office, not a word, hasn't said one thing to me. And, and like that detective did not need to do that. That was not part of her job description. She just did that out of the kindness of her heart. So it just it just shows how um, how little care the state attorney's office has put into this. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about your reaction to what's happening, because my understanding is uh, Alman Suri, he pays his bail, he gets out of jail, he stays in Florida for several months, flies to New York on uh, January 26th, and we know what he's alleged about allegedly did in Soho. Then he goes on this alleged crime spree out in Arizona and he gets arrested. What was your reaction to hearing about this? This guy that you, you say attacked you, now in the national mm-hmm. news, going on an alleged crime spree, killing someone in uh, New York City. What's your reaction to this? It was heartbreaking. Whenever I got that phone call and she told me the news, I was in a state of shock all over again. I actually have chill bumps right now, but I had chill bumps whenever she told me. And I was just like screaming on the phone over and over. I was like, I told them this would happen. I told them he could do this. And she was like, I know you did. Like, I'm so sorry that you're having to go through this. Like, I'm so sorry that they dropped the charges. And it's just, it's appalling to me because like, not only have they failed me in my case, but they failed now these other women who he was allowed to hurt. And it's just, it's absolutely heartbreaking. It's really devastating to know that this was possible. And my understanding is on the night of the alleged New York murder, Almond Story contacted you? Yes, that's what I've since realized since he contacted me, yeah. What did he say to you? He had called me off of a an unknown number. It was around 8 p.m. Um, it was a FaceTime audio call. And so I was like, oh, well, this isn't, you know, like a telemarketer or a scammer. It's someone I know that I just don't have their number saved. So I picked up the phone call and I was like, hello. And he goes, hi. And I was like, hello, who is this? And he was like, Noah. And I was like, Noah who? And he goes, Alman Sori. And my heart just dropped. I was like back in a state of shock. I was like trembling. I've already had many sleepless nights since he's gotten released from jail, like fearful that he's going to track me down and, you know, come to finish the job. But um, so then I'm like shaking. And all I could think to say was, why are you calling me? And he goes, I just wanted to see how you feel about everything that went down between us. And I'm still in a state of shock. I'm like, you mean when you tried to end my life? Like, you legally cannot be calling me. And uh, Because there was so an you- order of protection put in place. Yeah, there's right. while the stolen bike charge is pending, there's a no contact order. Right. And uh, um, so he just goes, okay, just like that. And I said, do not contact me again. And I hung up the phone. Before I like blocked the number, he ended up texting me two 
more times and it was something along the lines of like why did you treat me so miserably no man deserves to be treated like this and it, it's just like the lack of remorse and the lack of like understanding what he did it was shocking so then i forward that to the state attorney's office that night um they get back to me the next day the witness coordinator and he's like you know i'll get this to the appropriate places and we'll let you know what happens well i'm waiting and i'm waiting and i'm waiting and a week goes by and i message them back and i'm like hey you know it's been seven days like this man's still on the loose and he has no problem you know breaking a no contact order like could you give me an update and it took them another day to get back to me before they even like handled this it was just it's the lack of care along every step of the way in this process has been like appalling that is that is i can't even imagine that i can't even imagine what you're going through and feeling in light of this because this is this is horrifying this is horrible to think about and i mean thank goodness um for that investigator who who reached out to you to at least give you a heads up about this but you're seeing now he's in the news and, and i mentioned this before there's a there's a big public battle uh, between New York and Arizona about extraditing him. Arizona doesn't want to extradite him or the, the DA there doesn't want to extradite him to New York because she's worried that he's going to be released. I just was curious what your opinion is as this is playing out on a national stage uh, about what to do with Al-Mansouri. Um, and, and I'm curious your opinion about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I do not know the inner workings of other states' legal systems, so right. I can't really comment on, you know, what is best as I don't know. All I do know is how the state of Florida failed me and then subsequently the other women after me. And I am in full support of whatever keeps this man off of the streets. I know that he, if he gets released, he absolutely will do this again. He has shown that he's capable of it. And so I support whatever keeps him behind bars. Leah Palian, thank you so much for coming on, sharing the story with us. Um, it is incredibly disheartening. Um, and I'm just, uh, I know this is an important story for you to tell, and I'm happy that you came on to tell it. I think it's important for people to know. Um, and I'm just wishing you the uh, best of luck moving forward because this is, uh, I know this is a difficult time and I know it can't be easy. But really, again, thank you so much for being so generous and uh, coming on. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, everybody, that is all we have for you right now here on this episode of Sidebar. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jesse Weber. I'll speak to you next time.